0: Hello everyone, it's me Daisha. Welcome to part two of our two-part micro-series about the operas based on the works of the Russian writer Alexander Pushkin. In part one, A, I uh, checked in with everybody to see how you're doing out there. I hope you're okay remembering to wash your hands like crazy and uh, are staying in uh, airtight bubbles. In the first part of this episode, content-wise, though, I talked to my guest Jonathan Dean from the fabulous Seattle Opera, all about who Pushkin, Alexander Pushkin, the writer was, and Pushkin's stories. We were just sort of giving some context to the guy and trying to capture what a huge deal he was. Think, like, Shakespeare level. Uh, so in part two, the one that you're listening to right now, we're going to dig into just some of the actual operas based on Pushkin's stories. There are so many of them out there. Hold on to your hats, this is a nerdy good time. If and when you enjoy this episode, make sure to subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen. And I recommend that you check out the Seattle Opera Podcast if you want to learn more stuff about opera. It's not just about Seattle opera, though it is sometimes. There are great overviews of all of the big operas, conversations about different kinds of operatic voice and genres, all that good stuff. Um, Jonathan Dean, the host, is super entertaining, as you'll hear in these episodes, Also, I should tell you that this episode of Classical Classroom is brought to you by Encoda. There's a rumor going around that classical music can be hoity-toity. But here in the Classical Classroom, we beg to differ. Beethoven (laughs)
1: 5. The idea that classical music is a zone where we have to feel restricted or we have to act in a certain way, you know, that's not going to be helpful going forward. <laughs> Isaiah is shaking with excitement Oh, here. I mean, there's just so many great parts of the opera. He
0: asked me to play his
1: favorite spot in the first Moon of the Bronze. And he said, I started using those licks in my guitar solos.
0: How to be classical music rock stars because there's not enough of that in this business. Occasionally, I would plug in the mandolin to my distortion pedals. <laughs> I don't change my voice. <laughs> You're talking to classical music. <laughs>
1: I'm playing classical music now. I mean, it's, it's yeah. the same 12 notes. That's what's so cool about it.
0: I'm Deisha Clay, a classical music newbie, and I'm trying to learn all I can about the music. Come learn with me and the classical music experts I invite into the classical classroom. Um, Welcome to the classical classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today in the studio is Jonathan Dean. Hi, Daisha. <laughs> hey John. Let's um let's talk about the opera Eugene Onegin. We should what's what's the basic story of it?
1: Yes, so Eugene Onegin, probably Pushkin's masterpiece, probably his most ambitious piece, a verse novel. So it is you know, novel length, it's probably you know, 100 pages or so, mm-hmm. um, but it's all in rhyme and in these very, very intricate, deft stanzas. So, it's one of those things that if you don't speak Russian, sorry, right. you know, go learn it, because <laughs> you, like, you can read it in translation, but you're going to be missing something. Of course, yeah. But the plot is, is actually fairly simple. In Act 1 of the opera, Eugene Onegin is in this sort of very bored dandy from the city who's now out in the country, and this country girl falls head over heels in love with him. She declares her love passionately in this this endless mm-hmm. letter that she writes. And in Act 1, he says, eh, thanks, but no thanks. Let's mm-hmm. just be friends. Yeah. Act 2, he's at a party, and he's sort of disaffected and bored and gets annoyed. At some Something sets him off, and they get more and more and more rude, and eventually he gets into a fight with his best friend, and it escalates, and they get an audience at the party, and suddenly they have to challenge each other to a duel, because that's what men do in this. And the best <laughs> friend challenges him, and he kills his best friend. Oh, man. And that's Act 2. And then in Act 3, he's been out uh, traveling around the world in his exile. Mm-hmm. Much like Pushkin's, he had to kind of go away and then come back to yeah. Russia. And now, it's several years later, Tatiana, the girl who had declared her love for him in Act 1, is now grown up and she's married to a prince and she's this very fancy society lady in St. Petersburg and he meets her again Mm. and this time he's ready and he sees how awesome she is and he falls madly in love writes her passionate letters and she's the one who says talk to the hand and the story ends with both of them totally frustrated and you know ship's passing in the night. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood and made the wrong choice 20 (laughs) years ago. And so the opera is sort of a – it's a little bit of nostalgia thing of, you know – the the journey takes us to these people who are you know probably in their 30s but remembering yeah. when they were you know in their teens or in their 20s and all all things were possible yeah. and how they screwed up their lives and,
0: uh, and how they screwed it up so uh, uh, tchaikovsky wrote the music for this one right
1: 1877
0: <gasps> yeah
1: Yeah, Tchaikovsky had written several operas prior to this, but Uh this is the Tchaikovsky opera that gets done everywhere. We've actually done this opera many times in Seattle. It's not the most complicated opera to produce. It isn't as long, it doesn't have... So I mean, it has actually a big chorus and a lot of dancing on stage, but there it is it is possible to do it. The you know problem with, you know, when you get like an opera like War and Peace, how uh-huh. opera did War and <laughs> Peace once, oh that's a big investment. That's kind of like doing two or three operas at once, yeah. just in terms of the number of characters involved, the number of sets and costume changes yeah. and how long it goes. I mean, that one, as you can imagine, goes on This
0: one, But this one is a little... This one's simpler, reasonably tight.
1: Too. I mean, the funny thing is when Tchaikovsky wrote this opera in 1877, uh-huh. he was really down on opera. Mm -hmm. He had just been to the world premiere of the Wagner Ring Cycle Uh in Germany, which is sort of Mount Everest of operas, the most elaborate and complex opera imaginable. And Tchaikovsky didn't like it. He thought, no, 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 that's way too inflated and big and grand and nobody could possibly follow it. Let's do something simple, intimate and gripping right there. Yeah, and something that's lyrical. He also felt that the ring was too into the philosophy and the pontificating, mm-hmm. and he wanted something that was much more tuneful.
0: Mm-hmm. And and he wrote this. That would have been like what thirty something years after Pushkin's death. Yeah, so it was really really close. Yeah,
1: the, the well, the poem by then was already a you know well known. Mm-hmm. Classic kind of thing. I think uh, mm-hmm. Pushkin died in 1838. The poem had been written sort of in bits and pieces. It took hmm. Pushkin, I think, eight years total to write the poem.
0: Wasn't it serialized it, too? And, is yeah, that one of the parts ones that was had been published
1: okay. ahead of time, and then he was going to come back? And people did that back in those days. Uh-huh. I mean, the the one of the models for Pushkin in writing Eugene Onegin is Byron, who wrote stories uh-huh. like this in English uh-huh. um, that kind of went on and on and on, and you know, followed like it was yeah. a little bit it was half being a poet and half being a travel writer. Because yeah. the poet would then go off, and I'd like Byron would go to Spain and then to Italy and Greece, and then his character and his poem would end up following in the same yeah. same trip. And Pushkin, you know, has a little bit of that when he sends y- off traveling.
0: We should listen to some of the music from this one. Do you have a clip?
1: We have lots of clips.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay, uh, so, so set up, set up well, the first Well, one of the things I was going to
1: say, you know, in terms of when Tchaikovsky writes this, what is, what is it that appeals so much to Tchaikovsky about this story? It's uh-huh. the very intimate, very true, real experience of falling in love mm-hmm. and getting rejected.
0: Mm -hmm. that's
1: what you know that's what Tchaikovsky's music is about yeah and it's because the plot mirrors itself so beautifully in act one she falls in love Writes him a letter, he rejects her. In Act 3, mm-hmm. he falls in love, writes her letters. she rejects him. They both sing the same music. Oh. So, and it's sort of like, I always think of this music as kind of like when the snake bites your ankle and the poison mm-hmm. spreads slowly through your whole body. If you can imagine the movie where yeah. the love just kind of takes you over and turns you inside out, here's yeah. what it sounds like when Tatiana first realizes, oh my God, he's the one for me. that's the music that gets us going in the what's called the letter scene where she writes this long letter uh-huh. that same exact tune transposed down a little bit because he's a she's a soprano, he's a baritone he sings when he's just met her again at this party he's like, oh my gosh she's the one yeah Okay,
0: so it sounds like so they're both basically saying the same thing, <laughs> and because like I can tell. Just from the sort of pattern of the music, it sounds like they're saying, but I'm so into you. I'm super into you. What's up? Are you into me too? Yeah, just completely, you know, the yeah. person
1: is just like running wild with the, yeah. some of the frenzy, the- you know, their, their, their faces are flushed, their pulse is going too much, their heart is beating. But yeah. Have you ever had this experience as money who, you know, just your sure. presence, their heart starts to beat.
0: Yeah yeah and then you flee from the room of course just yeah. as
1: both of these two do <laughs> it's a funny opera you know a lot of operas end with you know big pile of corpses on stage or you know fancy human sacrifice suicide kind of numbers Eugene eugenia just ends with her slamming the door on him and her saying i suck oh and the curtain comes down wow it's, it's a, you know it's tchaikovsky's thing is i don't want it to be too stagey i don't want it to be to be operatic i just want it to be real yeah and the situation in the end is actually something that certainly Tchaikovsky had experienced, and, <laughs> and you know most of us unfortunately have.
0: Yeah, just like bye. Mm. That's mm, sorry. Thanks, but no thanks.
1: This is where you say you're talking about Pushkin, the intimate, the bringing uh-huh. you along. There's nothing to you know uh, distance you from this. It's yeah. it's excruciating, and performing yeah. it is really really hard because you have to be totally honest. Mm-hmm. You know if you're gonna if you're gonna play one of these two royal roles, mm-hmm. it doesn't work if you're sort of acting right to be the character yeah and be as vulnerable as these two you know people yeah. who are who have no choice but to bear themselves to
0: yeah
1: is it cruelty i don't we have a lot of debates um when we're putting on <laughs> an offer like this you know a lot of a lot of the ladies i've noticed think that onyegin is very mean and nasty to her mm. when he rejects her and huh. i would say that okay but he's also he could be a lot worse than he is
0: hmm yeah but is there a sort of sense of vindication, do you think, from...
1: The fact that he's I'm, wrong and he regrets... But well, you know, yeah, that he comes so back
0: wrong. and he's like, oh, I was wrong so wrong, and she says, ooh, too little, too late.
1: Well, what she says at the end is, you know, I really love you, but uh-huh. you're too late, and I'm staying yeah. with my husband.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's like that part in Love Actually... When he have you seen this movie?
1: A long time ago. You have yeah. to remind me.
0: Yeah. The where the um best friend is in love with his friend's wife. Like they just got married and this guy is and and he shows up at her house on Christmas Eve and he plays music and he has these signs telling her how he feels <laughs> and he's like peeling them off. But ultimately, you know, she's just married his best friend and so has to say Sorry. That's the choice. That's yeah, where we're, that's where we are. And he's stable. in the next room. So yeah. stop it. <laughs> no,
1: yeah. I mean, because the, the question is about fate, mm-hmm. I suppose. And a lot of these Russian stories, it's, wait, did we choose our lives or did fate have this in mind? Mm. And there was no you know, way to avoid mm-hmm. it. And certainly that was what, you know, Tchaikovsky was all his life motivated by this sense of... Uh-huh. You know there's a there's a fate that he has to do he has to die the death that his mother died that yeah. know, so traumatized him when he was a kid uh, yeah it's not so much tatiana and onyegin who both think that they're in control it's the other character Lensky, who's the tenor mm-hmm. he's the best friend that onyegin kills in the duel oh. who's the one who really gets it about fate and mm-hmm. sings one of the best things in the opera the the big tenor aria right before the duel scene well, let's hear I'll that. Just play just a little clip of i mean lansky's kind of a he's kind of a dorky character because he's this He's he's the one who probably should have gotten with Tatiana because they're both very dreamy and he's a poet. You know he's uh-huh. he doesn't have any any of the kind of blase ennui of yeah. You Yeah, know, he's totally naive and he's totally you know yeah. sees what you get. And but his one moment of real eloquence is at the end, saying, "Oh no, it's all fate."
0: it's so sad like oh, he's I mean, I mean
1: that's the thing like it, this sounds like it could be a oh that's sort of a, a bummer kind of opera no this is devastating yeah this opera it's yeah it's, in a funny way it's sadder than most tragedies wow. it's not a tragedy i mean yeah. yegan his life is meaningless but you know it's only
0: mm-hmm.
1: it doesn't it, it, he's he's alive at the end mm-hmm. it's just he's empty
0: well and that's sort of the curious mixture that like pushkin had in his writing it's 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 a romance, mm-hmm. and it's about this lovely human emotion, but, like, it sort of ends poorly. <laughs> it ends really poorly. Well, it's interesting, because
1: if you read the poem, Eugene Onegin, it's quite a different experience than listening to the opera. Uh-huh. In the poem, Pushkin himself is kind of a character as the narrator. You know, he talks in first person.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I'd like you to meet my friend, Onegin. You know, like that. And, of course, in the opera, the narrator goes away, or I guess the narrator gets transformed into the orchestra. Yeah. And they're much more sympathetic to the characters and have less distance from them.
0: Yeah. This episode of Classical Classroom is sponsored by Maestro Classics. They're the creators of Stories and Music, which is this recorded series that they made for kids and families. It's won more than 50 awards not to mention general adoration from the people who listen to it. It features the London Philharmonic Orchestra, and it takes those musical stories and it, and it like brings them to life. It's one of those things where kids learn while they're having fun, without actually knowing that they're learning. And there's an activity book that goes along with it. It's a whole thing. Maestro Classics just announced a brand new recording in this series called Bach and the Organ. It's all about J.S. Bach, who you may have heard of on this very show, and it tells the story of his life while talking about the pipe organ, which, P.S., back in the day, was the most advanced mechanical instrument that had ever existed. And you can learn more about this album and the rest of the series at maestroclassics.com and, wait for it, You can also save 17% off of your order by using coupon code CLASSROOM, yay! Hey musician types! Are you still flipping sheet music pages? While I respect your retro hipster lifestyle choice, I've got something that might just change your mind. It's called Encoda, N-K-O-D-A. And it's a subscription service, a la Spotify or Netflix, for digital sheet music. And just like those services, it gives you access to more content than you could possibly shake a stick at. I don't know why you would want to shake a stick at it, but you couldn't, because there are literally thousands of easy-to-find pieces of music in their library. You can check that out at encoded.com, by the way. With these digital scores, you can mark them up, just like your beloved paper, but you can also do cool digital things like create your own cheap music playlists and share stuff online. Are you intrigued? Well, download the Encoda app today from your app store for a free trial. That's Encoda. N-K-O-D-A. Encoda. We should talk about... (laughs) uh, We've got lots of other Pushkin-based
1: operas that we can talk about. You know, Eugene Onyekin gets done a fair amount because, as I mentioned, it's not... Uh, impossible opera Mm -hmm. to put on. Um, The roles are complicated, but vocally, you know, even some younger singers are able to sing these roles. Yeah. Um, And if you have a a decent chorus and a good orchestra, you can probably play the music in it. Some of the other uh, big Russian operas that got in that model of French grand opera just bigger and bigger and more glorious are Mm -hmm. more challenging. Mm. Probably the biggest russian opera that does get done quite a bit is boris good enough
0: okay boris good enough which i think is i don't know why but i feel like it's a funny thing to just call a story or an opera boris good enough it just sounds like you're <laughs> saying like R- robert johnson like <laughs> the <laughs> opera like it's just you the know i don't know am. but um so so okay what's the sort of story behind boris good enough
1: The plot of this Pushkin play that Mm -hmm. then becomes an opera Mm -hmm. by one of the great Russian composers. Yeah. Uh, The plot is uh, basically ripped off of Shakespeare. Mm. Pushkin had just read the complete works of Shakespeare in French translation, got excited by that, wrote this chapter from Russian history, kind of like a chronicle history play, like a Shakespeare, Henry the Mm -hmm. whatever, part 17, (laughs) like that. and. It's a little bit Richard III meets Macbeth. Mm -hmm. We've got this tyrant despot on the throne who's the Tsar, who's murdered children on his way to the peak of ultimate power, and then we watch him slowly get eaten alive by guilt over the course of eh, either four or five acts, depending on how you do the opera. This opera is a little bit scalable. The last time we did it in Seattle, we did the slightly smaller version, which is only like... Two two and a half hours, as opposed to the one that goes on for four hours or so. Uh, so the central character, the central character of that opera is either this base role of Boris Godunov the Tsar, who has done bad things, but we don't actually see him doing any bad things mm-hmm. in the opera. You just watch him disintegrate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing, amazing role. Yeah. Um, or uh, people usually say actually the principal character in Boris is the chorus, uh-huh. and they represent the people of Russia. Uh-huh because they're in lots and lots and lots of different scenes they're all over the place they're beggars they're boyars in the Kremlin they're starving people in the forest they're people in the streets of Moscow and they sing some of the most amazing music
0: that's interesting that you said that it was it was scalable does it sort of They're sort of (laughs) like modules or something that you can sort of...
1: The the way it was created was kind of strange. First of all, Pushkin wrote this play, Uh which was never produced. Uh First of all, it was censored immediately.
0: Oh, that's right. Um, Well, he was supposed to... What I read was that he was supposed to basically, like, before publishing anything, uh, give it to the czar. Like, the actual czar. and, And then the czar would say, okay, you can... You can publish this or not, and mm-hmm. this was mm-hmm. after his uh, period of this exile. This was yeah, basically like the exile. deal that he had to make with the government to be allowed to roam freely, uh, and and so anyway, but he didn't do that with Boris, from what I understand, he didn't, and I, I think he just like published it or something like that. I may I may have my facts he, wrong there, but yeah, I think
1: he. he- Published it, but it's a theater piece, and it was never actually performed mm. during his mm-hmm. lifetime, is my understanding. Yeah. So I mean, it's one thing to write a theater piece, but it's another thing to actually get a theater to, and hire a cast. Yeah. And in this case, it was it would have it, it's kind of unperformable. Like mm-hmm. there's way too many characters, and no, nobody could <laughs> possibly cast that. And how would you do all those costume changes? Yeah. He just he, he didn't have a whole lot of the practicality of writing for the theater. Yeah. Uh, yet, um, but he wrote this uh, when. The Boris, the play was, yeah, 1825, so right around the time of the Tsar the coming back uh-huh. and, and welcoming him back in from exile. Yeah. And then the opera was first written in 1869. Modus Mussorgsky, who was sort of a semi-professional composer, and the theater rejected it. Hmm. Absolutely unperformable. Forget it. We can't do this. It was a theater that was mostly used to producing Italian operas.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And Mussorgsky was one of these people who were like, we're Russians. We don't care about how they write operas in Italy. We're going to do them our own way. And somebody suggested to him, basically, okay, the reason they rejected your opera is there's no female voices in it, so add some chicks. <laughs> so he rewrote it, and he wrote a whole lot more scenes for sopranos and mezzo-sopranos, and what you get a lot in Russian opera, contraltos, uh-huh. you know, ladies with really deep voices. Yeah. And resubmitted it, and then they sort of tried it, and it didn't work very well. Eventually, Mizorsky's friend, Rimsky-Korsakov, yeah. re the whole thing and made a version that then caught on and then was performed all over the world. And only in the last couple of decades yeah. have we all gone back and said, okay, thank you, Rimsky, for salvaging this. We don't need your version <laughs> anymore. We're, we're capable of listening to the real thing now. But you can do either the, the first version, which is oh. really raw and brutal okay. and doesn't have a whole lot of ladies in it, or you can do the version with more sort of... Uh, femininity involved or you can do the whole the whole the full meal deal which has this long sequence where a minor character goes to Poland and there's a big ballet it's fantastic music in this love scene um, Mm -hmm. in Poland that doesn't have too much to do with the rest of the plot
0: (laughs) it sounds like this was like a real team effort (laughs) <laughs> like like to actually get this thing made well, eventually are
1: typically full team efforts
0: yeah but know. i mean like like to have actually gotten it uh, to to a point where it could be performed where anyone would want to <laughs> perform it you know like uh um uh and interesting that that he had to add chicks to it <laughs> well, they do sing some of the
1: best music in boris i mean it's a funny it's a funny situation boris i would say is probably one of the best operas ever about politics huh. about the real real yeah. world exercise of political power uh-huh. which is tends to be in an, in 16th century russia was mostly a guy kind of thing yeah. so and mazorksky was really interested in that and that dynamic and wrote fantastic yeah. scenes like the female character that he adds the princess marina of Poland turns about to be this completely demented, power-hungry Lady Macbeth type lady. Oh, interesting! You know, that's why he's able to uh, okay. kind of get her in there. So she sings a love scene, but it's one of those things where are you guys actually in love, or are you just manipulating each other because mm-hmm. you want? You know that you're going to be the key to getting your bigger goal of ultimate right. power for
0: yourself. Power couple in the worst way. Mm-hmm. I, I vaguely remember seeing a movie made of of this. Of Boris, I think. I think it was Boris. I remember it being really creepy. I don't remember a whole lot about it, but but uh, it's, yeah.
1: I mean, if if you I don't know if Macbeth is sort of your happy place. I mean, these are not <laughs> uh, stories. I mean, it's no. spectacularly theatrical. Yeah. I mean, Macbeth gets done all the time because yeah. everybody, you know, it really really works on stage. But no, it's it's disturbing.
0: So this is, uh, Mazors- Mazorsky, whose name I can never say. <laughs> um, what uh, let's I, we should hear some of the music from that one. You got any clips?
1: Um, well, yeah. Let's listen. We'll listen to a little bit of uh, chorus music from uh-huh. Boris Godunov because, as I mentioned, the chorus is one of the one of the principal characters. And then also, um, we should probably listen to a little bit of Boris himself. Yeah. I'm going to play you a little clor- clip of the tenor, who's the guy who's gone to Poland, seduced the. Polish uh, princess, mm-hmm. yeah, she gives him an army. Basically, that he can come back in and clear out the rest of Boris's administration. Mm. The chorus at this point in the opera, following him, he's supposed to actually ride on stage on horseback. Mm-hmm. Very few productions actually Gee. do this because there's a lot more going on, and some <laughs> of us don't have room for stable backstage. Uh, <laughs>
0: but you guys do. I've seen the stable. That's amazing. Well, we
1: didn't actually have a, a horse when we. No, we didn't. We didn't even do this scene the last time we did Boris yeah. in Seattle. This, we were doing a different version and it didn't it didn't meet this. But it's great music. And as he leads his charge of okay. the whole the population okay. uh, marching on Boris's capital. <laughs> Can you hear he's on horseback?
0: Come on, come on. You can really hear him like on the horseback, (laughs) like, you know, and the the chorus, like it's it's so, what are they, what are they saying there?
1: Good question. (laughs) They're of course saying, you know, hooray for Dimitri, hooray for the, the, he's pretending to be the Tsar who everybody thought was murdered. In infancy, that he's come back from the dead somehow to take his his rightful heritage. Mm. However, the words at, at the end there, Deus Gloria, they're mm. Latin because he's gone to Poland and he's letting the Catholics mm. into Sacred Mother Russia. And this what? is actually a really really awful <laughs> thing for the from the point of, of yeah. you know and Russian Orthodox Church, of course, is you know has this has this tension going on. But yeah. so yeah, so. In the scene, it's exciting, it's rousing, but it's also, oh no. And then they all head off, and the last character we're left with is a guy called the simpleton, mm-hmm. the holy fool, Yorodi, who's sort of developmentally disadvantaged maybe, but who has this uh-huh. fantastic weep for Russia, weep, weep. Yeah. The darkness is coming. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the end of the opera. The other piece I wanted to share with you, though, is the the great mad scene for Boris himself. Oh, right, yeah. It's one of those uh, scenes where, on stage, completely histrionic, you cannot overact this role as yeah. this, this guy goes nuts. And it's actually, his son has a neat little clock that sort of tick-tock, tick-tock, you know, has, like, you know, a cuckoo that comes out that is supposed to set him off in the uh, mad scene that huh? goes into the music. And wow. I'm going to play a little bit of the great uh, Russian bass Fedor Shalyapin, old recording, but nobody did this th- the way this this guy, who's sort of uh, from the era of silent movie acting. Okay, and this is what opera singing from that era would sound like. The Boris Mad scene.
0: <laughs> И голова
1: и мальчики, да, мальчики кровавые
0: Он, он там. Что Там Oh my God. <laughs> that was wow. He sounded like completely like he was going bonkers. Mm-hmm. That, uh, we have wow. great
1: mad scenes in lots of operas. In the Italian uh-huh. operas, it's always the soprano who goes mad. Uh-huh. That's one of the great mad scenes for a bass. Yeah. Which, in a weird way, is, is kind of more disturbing and terrifying because he's supposed to be the guy in charge. He's supposed to be the tsar. He's supposed mm-hmm. to be under control. And I was right. barely even singing right there. Almost, mm-hmm. I don't know, screeching or...
0: Right. He's just sort of... I don't know. Like um, he, he's, he's clearly just losing it completely (laughs) yeah well okay so what is it do you think about pushkin both of these uh, to me it makes a lot of sense for them to have been made into operas there are there are things that i sometimes hear are being turned into an opera or say being turned into a musical or something like that where i'm like why why on earth would you do that um (laughs) (laughs) like but like not knowing a whole lot about opera i feel like these just work.
1: The love story of Eugene Uh Onyegin, this gargantuan epic chaos nightmare of Russian Russian history in the 1600s, early 1600s for Boris. Uh, Well, Pushkin, I think, yeah, he gravitates in his stories to... You know, the, 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 basically, I think you can make almost anything into an opera if it's got A, love, and B, death. Uh-huh. You know, that's kind of the basic building blocks of opera and has been for hundreds and hundreds of
0: years. <laughs> that kind of boils it down. You
1: know, Pushkin does tend to go to those those basic themes yeah. in a lot of his stuff. But there's also, there's something about the way his, as you were talking about, his voice just grabs you by the hand mm-hmm. and pulse you into this world, mm-hmm. you know, in opera, the music has that is supposed to have that effect. Mm-hmm. When you sit down to watch an opera, the music is the narrator grabbing you and saying, here we go, and uh, this one's going to be like this tonight, or like yeah. this, or like this, or whatever. And, you know, the different music, m- different musical languages might work for different types of stories.
0: Pushkin
1: mm-hmm. writes a lot of different types of stories, but he's always right there, ready to, right. you know, be your guide.
0: Right. It's sort of stories that are grand enough to be scaled to use your word uh, to an opera size mm-hmm. but that are intimate enough that an audience member can connect with it like emotionally and have a very of.
1: intense experience yeah yeah that's really yeah, interesting and that's, why, that's why we keep coming back to these things over and over again you know in in opera sometimes we do a lot of operas mm-hmm. that we've heard before you know music does tend to sound better when you kind of know how it goes yeah But also the way these stories work, they are stories that you really, you you get this intense connection with the characters, the music makes it that intense, and then you do want to reconnect to them. And it's different this time because a different singer is going to do it.
0: And they're sort of weirdly familiar, too, I think. Like, both of these are sort of, you know, politician- does a bad thing,
1: <laughs> seeks,
0: seeks power, uh, makes poor decisions, falls from grace. When you it's know. interesting,
1: when you put on an opera like Boris Gudenov today, and it's, oh, it's set in 16th century Russia. Uh-huh. It seems like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Like there's right. a great distance from our world. But no, as you point out, actually yeah. the story is on the front page of the news every day. Yeah, You don't have to work very hard for everyone to know, oh, I know exactly what this is.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, you're, it's, it's easy to connect with. It's not quite archetypical but they're they're human stories that i think civilized societies know very well well and but then the the you know the and eugene onegan are we tools of fate or do we have agency in our lives and or are we just kidding
1: ourselves when we say that
0: we're <laughs> we just kidding ourselves <laughs> probably i mean
1: no that's that's those yeah. are all the things that are there in, in Onegin. Yeah. and if you go you know, maybe the first time you go to one you don't you're more sort of following the plot and paying attention to, oh, there's the nanny, and this is the guy who uh-huh. is all obsessive about the rules of dueling, and yeah. there's the fancy people at St. Petersburg. And here's the, there's a great sequence in Yeagan in with just the serfs mm-hmm. on the country estate doing the traditional dances, mm-hmm. you know, that, that would be, the Tchaikovsky probably grew up with, and it's delightful, it's yeah. fantastic music, and it's just that sort of slice of life of... Of Russia, uh-huh. um, yeah. but you know, it just gives you gives you the flavor. I think then maybe when you go back to it a second time, or when you get more familiar with it, then you start to really mm-hmm. lean into the complex psychology uh-huh. and this question of fate.
0: Well, and there's something to them sort of being like Pushkin's connection to folk tales and the telling thereof. You know, um, I think has a lot to do with what just makes these things work. But you know what I'm realizing is that we could go on for days and days and days about this and we should probably stop. But there are, for those of you who are interested in learning more about this, I mean, you can, you can go online and see the, the list of just scads of operas and, and movies and uh, other books that Pushkin sort of birthed from, from just uh, kind of doing his thing. In his very short life. And then dying in a duel. Womp womp. Um, so, John, uh, I'm seeing scads of operas, but, I mean, what are we talking about? <laughs> What's out there?
1: Well, Eugene Yagen, which we're doing Wait, yeah. right now, probably uh-huh. Pushkin's most notorious masterpiece. Yeah. Boris Goodenough. Mm-hmm. The, which we talk about. Tchaikovsky wrote a couple other Pushkin-based operas. Queen of Spades, fantastic Tchaikovsky opera. The Met is going to do it, and the Met is doing it. This Mm -hmm. year. So that's one that is sort of within grasp. Another one to look for is by Tchaikovsky called Mm Matzeppa. Rimsky Korsakov. We mentioned him a little bit with Masorex. He wrote uh, two wonderful Pushkin-based operas um, as well. The The Tale of Tsar Sultan, Mm -hmm. which is a piece that just makes you glad to be alive. And you probably, it's not done very often, but you probably do know The Flight of the Bumblebee Uh from The Tale of Tsar Sultan. And then the other Rimsky-Korsakov-Pushkin opera, which they just did in Dallas, a Uh production from Santa Fe, The Golden Cockerel, Uh a completely amazing, weird, fun, fantastic piece. And there's a lot of other ones. Uh, There's a beautiful Rachmaninoff opera called Aleko based on a Pushkin poem called The Gypsies. Now, here's Mm -hmm. the weird thing. Pushkin writes this poem, The Gypsies, in, I think, like the 1820s. It gets translated into French by a man, Prosper Mm Merimé, who then writes a little novel about the same exact story. Mm -hmm. A guy leaves civilization, marries this gypsy woman, lives with the gypsies, and then she cheats on him and he kills her. Uh Carmen. (gasps) Prosper Merrimay wrote it in French, but he was basically stealing a story from Pushkin. So we can say that actually Carmen is one of the Pushkin-based operas,
0: too. Whoa! That's kind of crazy. P.S. If you guys want to learn more about Carmen, uh, we did an episode about uh, how an opera gets to the stage, and it's all about Carmen. You can learn the whole story in that episode. Well, John, thank you for coming into the studio today to talk to me about this. Oh, great
1: pleasure. Anytime.
0: Fascinating, as always. You better get back to the opera. They're going to come looking for you.
1: Rehearsal tonight. Uh-huh. And yeah, with our maestro, uh, Alexander Markovich, going to lead the orchestra and Ooh. the singers in the theater for the first time tonight. We'll hear finally what it all, all the different pieces that we've been rehearsing for the last couple of weeks. We'll start putting them together.
0: That's cool. Musically. We'll so, enjoy. Yeah.
1: It's, that's, a, that's a rehearsal that everybody always wants to go to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, John. We'll uh, catch up soon. Okay, that does it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more classroom, head to classicalclassroomshow.com where you can hear all of our episodes, write to us, find links to our social media, make a financial gift to us, uh, whatever your poison. And whatever you do, uh, don't forget to subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to us. Uh, please make sure also to support your local music organizations and artists by n- donating to them, by buying things from them, whatever you can afford to do. Thanks to the home of Classical Classroom King FM, where everything, including the employees, is wiped down hourly with antibacterial wipes. Thanks to the birthplace of Classical Classroom, Houston Public Media. Thanks to Jonathan Dean for being on the podcast and to Seattle Opera for their support. Don't forget to check out the Seattle Opera podcast for all things opera, things you didn't even know that you needed to know about opera. Uh, thanks to the official hand-washing song of Classical Classroom, Truth Hurts by Lizzo. That chorus is 20 seconds long, and and I am so done with happy birthday. Like, on my birthday, just please sing me something else. Uh, Thanks to me for saying words, but most of all, thanks to you for listening, and stay safe out there, you guys.